right, there we go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Pugetisms podcast. Uh, this week's a little special one, because um, we're it's coinciding with our presence at GDC. Um, my boss said that we couldn't stream from GDC uh, at the booth, so instead, we brought you the next best thing. Uh, we have Brett Nordquist. He, um, well, I'll let him explain his position. And Kelly, we've seen Kelly before a few times. Um and we're going to be talking about GDC, game development, and kind of the state of the industry from both a technical aspect, that's Kelly, and kind of like what's going on from our perspective as far as like customers and companies and what they're doing and moving and grooving in the space. So this would be pretty cool. Um, so as I like to do, I'll uh, kind of open the floor a little bit. Brett and Kelly will uh, have a little bit of an intro, background, who you are and what you do for, for us here at Puget Systems. Uh, so we'll start with you, Brett. Well, great. Uh, yeah, glad to be here with Houston. Uh, I've been, my name's Brett. I've been uh, at Puget Systems, I guess a little over a decade now. Uh, started out doing consulting and uh, then moved into more of a account management role where I collect feedback from some of our like more high profile customers uh, and kind of take get that back to Puget so that we can like improve our products, include our improve our services and such. So that's kind of what I do today. I kind of as as an account manager. And we've we've met Kelly before a few times, but just in case anybody doesn't already know Kelly, what do you who are you and what you do? So I'm Kelly. I am the uh, Puget Labs kind of 3D expert. I do all things 3D content creation, game development, rendering, um, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, right on. So I guess to, just to start, uh, so the the expo hall just opened today. Mm-hmm. So, so there's been um, kind of sessions and talks and stuff prior to that. Um, I've, I guess, is there anything really interesting or cool that you guys have seen coming out of GDC yet so far? Um, one big announcement was um, Unity's new uh, um, enemies trailer showing off their new high definition rendering pipeline. Oh, um, I missed that. I can. Uh, hold on. Air screen. Oh, cool! Yeah, share screen. All right. All right, here we go. So this is just a, a YouTube video, but this is a new demo they have running real time in the engine. They said that this is on an i7 with a 3090 and is getting about um, averaging about 40 frames per second using a wow. 3090. So again, very high end workflows, um, but it is a real time in engine product. Um, like they have, wow. it's a pretty, pretty detailed thing. So this is like their, um, their direct, like response to Unreal Engine and all they're doing with um, virtual production and higher end um, game productions. Wow. Um, yeah, That's, so it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, because you know, Unreal Engine can, catches a lot of the kind of the flash and the, mm-hmm. the big top billing news. Unity, I think, traditionally has been kind of relegated to like mobile games and and mm-hmm. you know and things like that, which. Um, I suppose getting further along now, it's a little unfair. Like they're doing some, mm-hmm. they're making some major plays too. That's that's amazing. Like yeah. that's so. I mean, they um, this follows them buying out uh, what a digital not oh, too long ago. Right. Um, so kind of incorporating some of that talent and some of that engineering into um, 
their new stuff yeah. showing off what they can do real time with the um original character kind of like epic has with metahumans okay um uh unity has a similar thing called ziva i think someone's in chat that might know um but it's kind of unity's response to that I see. Um, so yeah they are making serious plays to get into the the high end um as far as graphical um graphical needs of an engine yeah wow like they've been doing some pretty big games for a long time like they i think mario kart uses unity um okay like they have some there's some good titles behind them but nothing that's like pushing the graphical bounds yeah Uh, that seemed to be that's where they're really going to right now awesome and so you kind of kind of mentioned a couple little blips about like virtual production and things like that so Mm -hmm. um that's i feel like an interesting angle because like we have a booth presence at, at gdc traditionally more towards video games right game development conference um but that doesn't seem to be the main or it doesn't feel like the main topic this year like it seems like it's a lot of it is being focused on how to leverage these game engines in Mm -hmm. different ways Mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty cool i'm i'm really enjoying seeing how this what's been traditionally sort of in encapsulated in kind of one area is kind of like branching out into everything filmmaking and just interactive media i suppose Mm -hmm. yeah that's really neat uh brett i wonder um i know i personally as as kind of the the voice of of puget system sometimes have have had to dissuade some folks um focusing on like the enthusiast market but with our with with this push uh more people are using these game engines for other things just like video games um what are some of the things that you've seen popping up uh in in that space hmm well i just to go back on like some of the stuff that's come out uh it seems like every few years we get kind of a push push for like virtual pc workstation in the cloud and uh, you know i saw kelly posted something earlier about that with uh, microsoft's uh announcement today i think it's called what ID at Azure, mm-hmm. uh, and it really looks geared towards kind of smaller development studios, indie game studios, um, maybe that, um, you know, purchasing a lot of workstations up front, especially when people are mobile right now. Um, this maybe could be kind of a, a way to help them get them started um, without making a massive investment in, into the hardware. And uh, yeah, that's that is definitely one thing we're seeing <clears throat> with some of our customers is as as these developers, you know, when COVID hit and then you know, kind of making our way around. What does it look like when people start coming back? And we have seen a push to people purchasing multiple systems. Uh, I think initially we thought how much of that would be handled by mobile or laptops, but I think we quickly saw that to do kind of for, to keep them efficient and keep them working as they were in the office, they kind of needed a similar system at home. So that is one thing we're seeing as we work with some of the smaller studios is multiple system requirements, 
getting a, a duplicate system at home, one in the office. So I'm, I'm always interested when this cloud stuff comes up because, you know, recently had a conversation with one of the smaller studios more more in line of, hey, is this something that you would consider because they were in that startup mode still. And there are still a lot of questions around security, file size, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, um, keeping the code as private as possible and not getting, you know, everything's kind of under wraps here for a while and until they kind of get going. So there, I think there's still some concerns about that, but certainly Microsoft putting their name behind it in something like this, that they are developers. <laughs> they, I think that they, maybe they'll uh, come out with a product that hits on more points than maybe what we've seen in the past. Yeah. That brings up an interesting question. I'm curious, Kelly, you've got some experience in game development, like from the actual like production pipeline mm -hmm. sort of thing. When the cloud stuff gets brought up in other aspects of content creation, especially like video editing, it tends to be kind of like, you know, you're not you're not doing the really high end good stuff. Right. How, does this make sense for game development, a sort of a cloud development environment? I think it's going to be similar to um, similar to what uh, we see in video editing and stuff. That like at a certain level, it makes sense. Then at as you go up the stack, it starts to make less sense. Okay. Um, they specifically target, they specifically mentioned that like, they're trying to find the next um, uh, Among Us or the next Minecraft. These are games that have like lower end specs. So if you have a little bit of latency as you're working, it's not gonna feel that bad. Okay. Whereas if you're doing you know, the next Call of Duty or the next Battlefield and you have a little bit of latency that can really impact with how you're interacting with things and how um, if you if your screen is full of stuff and then that's taking longer to you know download to your computer, the, like the, each individual image, um, that can impact things. So, um, yeah, I think it makes sense at a certain level. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that makes sense too. Because yeah, I, I see the quote here about the next great Minecraft Cuphead Among Us, and they're mm -hmm. hoping to is to to kind of quote from the article there. Um, and we hope ID at Azure can be a catalyst for those teams to reach even greater success. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So they're specifically calling out those lower end spec games. Yeah, that's kind of cool though. I like. I kind of. It kind of makes sense. Or I like the idea that. Um, you know, you don't have to necessarily just jump straight to having a, a real high-end machine, or if maybe if you're just kind of goofing around or testing some idea you have, you don't have mm -hmm. to drop a whole lot of resources into because into the whole environment and everything. And uh, right, that's, that's smart. That's a that's a cool play there. Yeah, a lot of the game development groups that I'm members of, um, there's a lot of people that join in that are like like don't know anything about game development. They're just trying to get started. And their question's always like, hey, I have this computer. Is it gonna work for Unreal Engine? And the computer's like 10 years old or something. And it's like, it will, depending on what you're trying to do. But this then gives them an opportunity to like, well, I can just log into this and kind of get started, get my feet wet, see if it's something I wanna do until they have the resources to have their own system or to do whatever. Yeah, that's really neat. I, I, I'm, I'll have to read more into this because I'll, I'll get distracted and just kind of space out while I while I read, read this article. But I'm I'm actually really yeah. curious about this because, yeah, it, it feels it feels like it's it's really put. I mean, that, really it, the article has a lot about the virtual machines and then about other um, other aspects of the idea at Azure uh, that have 
just a lot of things to help, um, like a lot of cloud-based computing things that like if you want leaderboards or if you want um, to have some kind of storage in a cloud that your game needs. Yeah. If you're an independent developer and you don't want to spin up your own servers and like that's all built into this. So um, that way they can the final gameplay have online stuff and servers are ready for them. Right. Um, I'm not sure. So I have kind of an idea of this question, but I'm not sure how to how to parse it. I suppose. Um, I, I'm I'm just really fascinated with how I feel that there's going to be the, there's more and more of this crossover of sort of reality with with gaming or mm-hmm. um because because it seems it just. I'm just reminded of like the early days of Machinima, uh, you know, red versus blue and that that's those sorts of things. And I just, I just have this crazy feeling that like, we're going to feel more and more injected into our, not just video games, but into the content that we're consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, again, I don't know how to like take this idea and put it into a question, but I'm curious if you, if there's, if that's any cross your mind at all, or Brett, if you've seen any sort of mm-hmm. thoughts in that direction as well. When you're talking about <clears throat> stepping into the game, I mean, I, it's funny, you know, each night I've got a couple of young sons who run upstairs to me and they're all sweaty and I can tell they've been, they've had their VR headset on, you know, so like you definitely seen that I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I think what Kelly touched on is, is, is people do these studios. It, it seems to be going kind of at least two directions here on the very high end, as realistic as possible, put the player into this environment. They, it almost becomes their environment. Um, and then on the low end spec, the Among Us, the Minecrafts that kind of run on anything that may or may not need a constant internet connection. Um, but those, some of those games that I, th- I think they become popular because of that, because they run on low end and they'll run on anything. You can run it on a 10 year old system, an old Android or iPhone or old iPad you've got sitting around. Um, so that, that, I'm really interested in seeing that. And I see like uh, even myself and those that are in my family that are into the games kind of jump between those different modes of playing. And then you've got the switch, you've got this, you know, this, the steam deck. I, it, there's just a lot of really interesting stuff going on right now. Like even being able to take the game and, you know, take it in the car with you, take it while you're sitting in the doctor's office. I think that is a level of personalization that is, is, uh, is, you know, becoming expected. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. what kid, people want. So they want to be able to play these games across multiple devices on any time that they feel like it challenging for parents and challenging for teachers. I'm sure when you've got this, but, um, just the, the possibilities and opportunities are, are just endless right now. Well, I think beyond that too, um, there's a big push to extend these worlds into other media. Like yeah. we have the new halo series out on paramount. Um, was that out like out? out? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't have it. So I I'll check that out. Um, but um, I think there's a few other games have are getting some kind of movie oh, or TV show treatments. Like Arcane on Netflix. Oh yeah, Arcane Legends, right? Huge one. Um, I really think that was a big motivator for Sony paying 3.6 billion dollars for um, Bungie to acquire Destiny. Wow! Because like they want to like Destiny has books out, they have sure, sure. lore, and so they want to get the game. 
and a movie or a TV series or whatever, because it's this ripe environment. So that way, like, it's not just your game. It's the game plus once you leave the computer or your switch or whatever, you have other stuff to ingest yeah. and you, you know, um, expand. Oh jeez, I hit the I hit the shrink <laughs> button on my. On my <laughs> uh, I remember years ago. Jeez, uh, almost probably ten years now. Um, there was a show called Defiance, I think is what it was called, and it came out coincide with a video game. And their big idea, oh, right. their big idea was that like the show and the game were supposed to kind of influence each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I think the. I mean the popularity and stuff and whatever. But um, I think maybe that was a bit ahead of its time because I feel like the production uh, like timelines for both a TV show and a video game are, are tend to be kind of long. Like it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to have, you know, something live that happens in an MMO go on to affect something on a television show when, you know, it takes you a long time to develop or, and vice versa, really. Do you think that, do you think maybe we're getting to a better sort of parody in that sense where maybe we could have live events both on a television show then affect your game and vice versa? Potentially. um, For both cases, you're still talking months, if not years worth of development to get something to a shipping state. So, um, it would take a you know, pretty coordinated effort before filming begins. Sure. Um, and then you don't know what the outcome is, so you don't know how you're going to need to implement something else. Um, I think what has changed since Defiant or whatever that game was. Yeah, um, pretty sure. Something like that. I remember playing the game. The game was pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> that the production values of both game and game-related media has skyrocketed because like what marvel has done um with their whole cinematic universe has really propelled that and um used to be like um comic book movies were just kind of a a joke they weren't that good and, you know right. a couple of batmans that were good some that were terrible and but now it's become the norm to have that kind of quality, that kind of production behind. Um, used to, be, I remember when one of my favorite games, uh, Dungeon Siege, um, <laughs> they made a movie about Dungeon Siege, and they got that Uwe Boll to oh, direct it, and it was just a train wreck. And like that used to be the state of of game movies was like you had yeah. to find someone willing to invest in this and that was someone that doesn't know anything yeah now like um you have huge movie producers like yeah i want to do a game i want to do a comic book i want to do whatever and you have the actors that are a less celebrities that like want to be part of this now um so i think that's kind of accelerated what they could do so if someone was to try that like crossover now I think they might do it a little differently than they tried. I don't know if they try to make it influence back and forth. Sure. Um, but I think they would make a much better product. I think too, especially with, with the push um, behind p- for virtual production, um, it, it I feel like it would be easier to cross some of that over um, because your assets are, are right there. Like whatever mm-hmm. you've got built for the, for the show or movie, mm-hmm. I imagine, and I'm 
it, it wouldn't, I would say easy, but at least easier to take that and then inject that into a game or something a little more interactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially if you're doing like a virtual production with like Unreal or even within Unity, um, you know, the assets, it's the same thing. It's literally the same map. You can open that on any LED volume and you would want to, yeah, there's some setup you have to do to make that work, but the assets are all there. It's all ready to go. Whatever optimizations you did to make the game work good is going to make it even smoother when you're trying to record the video, which is what a lot of the movie people are struggling with is figuring out how the optimizations of a game works. Oh, sure. Um, and whereas the game developers have that down and um, yeah, I, I definitely see it could, it could go a little bit better. But also, like, if we look at Halo, they've changed Master Chief, and um, they kind of changed a lot of the story and plot points and stuff to fit the film. So hmm. I think from the ground up, maybe it would impact how the game is made versus where it was before. Yeah. Just because different media kind of tells stories different ways. So Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we do... Um... Well, just kind of a, a an interesting question. I'm curious, maybe if we, I don't know if there's quite an answer, but Hope Through Prophecy on the YouTube asks, do you foresee NVIDIA creating a graphics card that optimizes H.265 4 by 2 by 2 um, That'd probably be a Matt question. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> a little outside of my, my wheelhouse. <laughs> sure, sure. And really, though, who knows? Who knows what NVIDIA decides to do? Yeah. They're going to be weird. Yeah, yeah NVIDIA kind of does what they do. I'm still thinking about <laughs> Kelly's Dungeon Siege reference. I've spent too many hours uh, wandering the desert looking for the chicken area in that game. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> if you didn't yeah. do that, you just didn't play Dungeon Siege. Yeah. So, <laughs> funny story about Dungeon Siege real quick. When sure. I was in school, the program that I was in was kind of a combination film or game development. Like they were kind of dipping their toes into game development because this was a long time ago. Um, and so I had a project for class that like we had to reach out to local companies to get a tour of doing whatever they do to and do a write up on that. And um, so the group that I was working with, we wanted to do games. So like we reached out to like 30 different game studios in the Seattle area and gas powered games was the only person that responded. Yes. Aww. And wow. so we went down there and Chris Taylor, the founder of gas powered games, who's a legendary game developer. Um, he personally gave us the tour and like showed us around, gave us a whole bunch of merch. And like, that was the moment that I was like, yep. Game development's where I want to go. Like that's, <laughs> that's the way I'm going. Not, not this film stuff. Nice. I, to follow this tangent just a little bit, I wish, so I did, I did some computer science uh, toward the end of my high school career. And uh, I wish that they, I got into it. I wanted to make video games. That was the plan. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, all of the career advice uh, and like outside experts and stuff that they would bring in to like talk up computer science and programming were super boring, like accountant stuff. A lot of financial like code guys were coming in there mm -hmm. to talk about like what they did. And that really turned me off of wanting to be a programmer. I, I wish, I wish they had hyped up some other stuff than just the boring, yeah. like number. Yeah, we saw, we saw the, like the, the people that designed weapons and stuff like that. And they literally just sit in Excel. Like that's, 
they're not in an engine they're not playing the game they're in excel like charting out like as this thing as the character increases this stat and then this thing does this and yeah a lot of game dev game dev is pretty boring but if you have the mind for it like it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, let, let's touch on Unreal Engine 5 a little bit. I know Brian mm-hmm. mentioned that a, a touch because um, uh, Leviathan Prime on, on Twitch here asked, he said, Unreal Engine 5 looks real interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I know prior to this, Kelly, you mentioned that there was a new demo that they put out, I think. is it, Or am I mixing that up with the Unity thing? Uh, Unity just put one out. Okay. Unreal's has been out for quite a while. Okay. Okay. I, I think I crossed those over. But what's 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 the big deal? With Unreal Engine 5. So Unreal Engine 5 um, basically is they took their lighting engine and like redid it from the ground up. Um, it's kind of a a hybrid um, of ray tracing and rasterization because okay. before it was rasterization was the traditional way of, of rendering graphics. And then um, they introduced ray tracing, which was pretty much just another layer added on top of the stuff. Um, okay. And so this is they like kind of like did it from the ground up. They have a new lighting system called Lumen that kind of does some fake real time ray tracing. Um, that like bridge the gap between um, real time ray tracing, which is extremely performance heavy, yeah, and rasterization, which is really light. And there was just like if you enable it, all of a sudden you'd see your frame rate drop to a quarter of what it was before. Yeah. And so Lumen's trying to like kind of bridge that gap. It can do full real time ray tracing or not. And then when it's not doing full real time ray tracing, it's a lot better. But um, so yeah, that's the main thing. And then the other mm-hmm. thing is Nanite, their new virtualized geometry system where um so actually i have i have it up right now if you want to switch oh, over to my sure, sure. share yeah um uh this one yep so this is um unreal engine 5 this is all real time oh, all okay. of this is geometry there's nothing here that is like a 2d thing okay i can click on any of these objects and they're just objects oh. sitting out there um so this is would be millions and millions and millions of polygons. So I can go to nanite visualization. Let's not do that. Well, hold on. What is that? So I'm trying to get to the, okay. So this is now showing all the triangles that are in the scene because everything's built out of triangles. Right. And these, these little tiny, like each color is a different triangle. So as we move in, um, go faster you can see how the triangles are kind of changing density and getting smaller or whatever right um so what that means is that this um as you're moving further away or getting closer it's changing the number of triangles that are on that model to fit what can be displayed on the screen so that way instead of having these tiny triangles they're now smaller than a pixel that it's still trying to calculate this triangle that isn't really going to affect a pixel, it's only working on what will actually be seen. And it's just redoing the geometry based on how far it is from from the screen. Wow. Um, which means you can have these, um, let me set my speed a little faster here. Um, you can have these massive, massive environments that just go on and on and on 
wow. And the performance stays good because you're not trying to render all that. You don't have to spend time to make these LODs with level of details where you have an object, but then you have to make a lower poly version of that same object and then even lower poly version. You have like eight different steps that it goes through and the engine would just like substitute them in and out. Mm-hmm. And that's where in previous games you would see a lot of like this pop in where like all of a sudden something in distance would like change shape or yeah. change mm-hmm. its texture or whatever. Um, that's Lumen is promising. We'll see if it takes place to yeah. make that a thing of the past where it can just you make the one object and then the engine handles it from there. Wow. And these are like a lot of detail in here. This is all geometry. If I go back to my triangles, you can see how like you're right up to this thing and there's still triangles. Whereas before you would have made this very smooth, very few triangles and then used a normal map or whatever to make the details. And now they just do it in geometry. That's pretty cool. And I mean, it seems to be fairly... um... I guess performance performance optimized. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure the vocabulary to use, but um, I mean, you're doing this while you're streaming. This mm-hmm. is you're running this it right now, like yep. on the same machine. Like that's yep. pretty cool and a uh, fairly modest system, I imagine. I, I don't, I don't, you don't uh, want to do 3090s or anything at home, are you? I yeah, I have a 3090. Okay, still that's <laughs> yeah, it's a, which makes sense. If it's a 5950 if, and a 3090, so I'm oh. I'm pretty up there. <laughs> okay. Which, and I guess that makes sense, especially from a game development standpoint. You want to kind of, I imagine you would want to work your way down, right? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. That's still, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and so that's why um, we've been seeing a lot of game developers jumping onto Unreal Engine 5. Um, Ninja Theory is using it for Hellblade. Okay. Um which the demo they've shown is just amazing. Um, and then there was a, the Matrix had a demo recently right. um, that was really good that was on running on consoles on Unreal 5. Um, and the big news recently was CD Project Red um, is adopting Unreal Engine 5 for the next Witcher game. Yeah. Um, which is a huge deal because for the past. 15 years, I'm guessing they've been using their own internal engine called mm-hmm. the red engine. Um, most internal game engines don't have very unique names it's named after the company. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they use red engine for starting with Witcher two, I believe. Okay. Um, and so Witcher two, three, um, all the expansions plus, uh, Cyberpunk 2077, we're all using Red Engine. Right. Um, so yeah, them moving to Unreal Engine 5 is pretty big news. And that's how they chose to announce their their new game. Um, Imagine this is going to be helpful for them. Because yes. I, I think I think they, and I don't know enough about how games are made enough to, to, to really say, but it feels like they, they had trouble going from a third person hack and slash sort of action oriented game to a first person, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, almost Skyrim oblivion style RPG. Yeah. And, and I imagine then moving to something like unreal engine where a lot of that's kind of built in Mm -hmm. is going to help. Yeah. So this is going to do a couple things for them. They have the engine itself. 
So now they don't need developers trying to update code from 15 years ago or start over or whatever they need to do. Um, so, so they have a base engine. Mm -hmm. um, then also they're big enough. And according to the press release that they've sent out, um, they're basically working with Epic. And anytime that one of these big studios takes on um, Unreal Engine, uh, they'll get support from Epic. So if like there's some major change they need done to the engine, they'll reach out to Epic, Epic will make it happen. Um, and they kind of go back and forth. Um, this is not just for, um, for CD Projekt Red, but Epic also gains from this too, because um, one of the other big pushes with Unreal Engine 5 is this ability to do these massive open worlds. Oh, well, so, I'm not sure what that, yeah, that nano thing you were just showing us. Yeah, if you go back to um, yeah. screen, so you can see this massive world here. Yeah. Now, over here on the right, you can see this little mini map. Yeah. The light colored squares are the areas that I've loaded into, and that's where it ends right there. That's where oh, that I see. little hole is. Um, so, everything else has not been loaded out, but I can open up everything that's on this map so mm -hmm. what you see on my screen is just this little square um so they're trying to push into these massive open worlds that cd project red has huge experience doing and is like one of the top um open world game developers so they're basically going to work together to improve unreal engine 5 for open worlds um so yeah, they're gonna get CBI Project Ready gets the help of Epic behind them now. Um, I'm curious to see what else they have planned for this. Mm -hmm. um, their the um, press release made it sound like pretty in-depth business partnery going on. Yeah. Um, is there gonna be anything else? Is there gonna be like? Um, good old games available on through epic marketplace is there going to oh, be because right. they own that because cdpr owns owns yeah. uh gog oh, yeah. yeah um so will there be a partnership there is there going to be a buyout at some point like mm. um cd project red has a long long track record of working in crunch um overworking their developers and stuff yeah, so this kind will, of a, a finger yeah. wagon at the cyberpunk stuff mm -hmm. for that so this will kind of take a lot of that demand off of developers and might help with that um depending on the situation um so yeah there's there's a lot to be gained from both sides by this partnership so it's gonna be pretty interesting and we know unreal engine 5 and unreal in general, their graphical fidelity. So, you know, that Cyberpunk or Cyberpunk, that um, CD Projekt Red is going to take full advantage of that mm -hmm. and really make a, um, a really good looking game. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> Brett, in your time working with this, has there been. So it's not. Let me rephrase. It's, Game development is not something that we have traditionally put a lot of effort into attracting. Have you noticed that 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 they've kind of come to us more uh, as as these things have kind of advanced and gotten a little bit easier to to work with? I think a number of them have, and have we've been able to kind of 
the more benchmarks, the more testing we've done, I think people look to that as well. There does seem to be an, I wouldn't call it unusual amount of interest around Unreal Engine 5, but a, hey, we need to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Even some of the smaller companies that maybe would have waited for some of the larger companies to adopt it um, are jumping in headfirst into it. So a lot of the systems that we're selling, uh, that people are coming to us, they want to make sure that they're spec'd out to, to that they can run Unreal Engine 5 for a number of years. And, and really, that's one difference I've seen over, I'd say, since I was in consulting is we used to build developers were always con, uh, considered a kind of uh, maybe a bit finicky, um, really. Uh, and and they come from a technical background, right? So it makes sense. Uh, they often are used to having their hands in every hardware decision. So they would often mm-hmm. build their own system. Um, and as we're seeing some of these smaller companies, they may start that way. And they're like, hey, just kind of take care of it on your own. You know, here's here's the budget for parts. But because developers are in such demand, because their time is so valuable, um, we're seeing, I think, some kind of approach us and say, hey, we we want to make sure our, our developers are, that's what they're doing, that they're not spending time troubleshooting uh, front panel USB ports, for example. <laughs> uh, we want to make sure like, and so th- there does seem to be these ki- kind of more customized workflows where I think years ago, we would create kind of this general purpose developments, developer system, and we'd kind of hope that it would work for them. And maybe they would tailor it once they got it to get it to do what they want. But now we're like customizing systems for very specific workflows, Mm -hmm. whether it's a developer, designer, art, 3D artist, um, whatever, motion capture. So that we're we're able, we've brought on people like Kelly so that we can do this. So we can, we we were kind of hoping, we're gonna put this out in the market, we kind of hope it fits. Now we're saying we've done the tests, we've got people in house like Kelly that know this stuff and we can offer a solid solution. And and I really think that's the reason why the, the game development, the, the number of workstations that we're selling has, has increased because we have that expertise in house now. I also think there's been a, as game development um, progresses, some of these bigger studios are getting just massive and like you mentioned that kind of at the start when there are just a few employees and um you have a lot of highly technical people on the team that like they can build a computer and so they're just like we know what we need i'll just go buy the parts and build it myself as these as these companies get bigger like bungie is last i heard over 800 people or something like that and when you get to that size, you have people that are so specialized in what they do that, like the artists, you know, you have these people that are focused on creating a character or whatever, they might not know the technical side that much. And so now the IT is like, well, we don't have time to build 900 computers. We don't like there's these different needs these different people have and they don't have the expertise to build it themselves. So now it just makes more sense for us to reach out to a someone that builds computers to be like, hey, I need, you know, 50 computers to um, supply this new team that we're spinning up. These are the jobs they have. What do we need? Um, so, yeah, I think it were just the nature of the industry growing that 
they're reaching out to us a little bit more. Yeah, not to not to beat it up, but th there is it can be used as a hiring a differentiator mm -hmm. because it's so difficult to find you know developers um, you know starting on day one with a solid you know high performance workstation is a is going to be a, just a better experience for a new employee than here's some parts from the parts bin from IT. Um, mm -hmm. You know, keep your fingers crossed. Hope it works. And 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 not to kid, but that's really what we've seen. And uh, even companies that have worked with uh, some of the larger computer companies, maybe it's a little bit more reliable. But 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 what I'm hearing is that they're unable to configure it for their specific workflow, or they're maybe not able to get the specific drive configuration, um, or you know, specific. Um, GPU or CPU um, with the motherboard and uh, like proper cooling, right? So like maybe they get all everything right and they forget fans and it overheats and shuts down mm -hmm. on them. So just the, yeah, I think Kelly's point to some of these smaller studios jumping in from kind of day one, they understand what happens as they grow and it becomes more difficult. And your point to the artist is correct. You know, there are not everybody at these at these studios really wants to build their own system and mm -hmm. troubleshoot it and, and and support it. So we have been able to branch out from developers as other departments design, uh, you know, the artist, even though we were still learning what their workflows look like, um, we're seeing them jump on and say, okay, yeah, we can spend our time doing what we love instead of troubleshooting. So mm -hmm. that's, that's definitely expanded our offerings as we've been able to get in building these, you know, solid developer machines. Nice. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. I wonder too, though, is when it does come from the, uh, the technical background, is there much friction in like what they think they need versus what maybe we recommend. Hmm. <laughs> it, I it, I, yeah, I, I kind of see two, at least two in the ones that I've worked with. They're either very technical and they know exactly what they want down to even the model of motherboard or brand of drive or brand of RAM. Um, or they come to us and, and those people, they, we assume they know their workflow. We may ask a few follow-up questions to make sure, especially on the higher end, they tend to build as fast a system as possible. And maybe there is some overkill built into there. But what we're seeing, I think more as we feel more comfortable in this space and as we gain a reputation for being able to do this work is people coming to us with the questions around their workflow. Hey, I'd like to be able to do this. I can't do this today on my system. What does that look like? So I think that's what we're seeing more of. Our, here's here's the applications I need to run well. Can you build me a system that I can run all of these at the same time and do some rendering on my system without you know it bringing it to its knees? So those are I think some of the things we're seeing more of just like wanting to optimize it for their specific workflow. Yeah, we have one developer that we um, build a lot of computers for that we had sold them several. And then they came to us one time and was like, hey, can you test this one specific thing? And just give us like a scattershot of a few different systems so we can know what the performance difference is for that task. And that changed what CPU and motherboard they bought from then on. It was like this one little thing, which was compiling shaders. Um, like that's going to determine what how we build the rest of our computers. And yeah, cool. and they just they were that focused. And so did that also then affect what we 
was were offering? Like, did that? How or did we kind of already know? Um, that so that was like when I first joined the team. That was okay. like one of the first things I did for game development was that test, and I already kind of knew that that was going to be the case. Um, just our recommend system at the time didn't reflect that. So that was just kind of a, that showed a change in our recommend systems from then on. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's neat. Cause I know, I know sometimes, um, well, I, I mean, a big part of, of what labs does is, is we need that sort of, um, that information of like, mm-hmm. what are you, what are you all doing? And then, yeah. you know, is, is what we're offering make sense for that. And that's, it's cool to hear that, you know, we were able to help them, and then they, in turn, kind of helped us by asking that mm. that question. That's really neat. Yeah, cool. Right so I always tell people like, if you want to see anything else in the benchmark, just let me know. Like, I'll <laughs> figure out a way to do it, but I need to know what your your bottlenecks are. Right? Yeah, because we're not we're not making video games. We make mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and like different people have different needs in their game so let me know and i'll see what i can do yeah that's pretty cool is there so other than i mean we've kind of touched on some of the future looking stuff but what what other things are out there that that um both both brett and kelly that um that you're excited for in this in game development and and the the i suppose in the periphery of it hmm one thing that comes to mind is like storytelling and without getting like too detailed about it we we recently had a visit with the game studio and they focused you know we hear a lot about specs and this amazing technology and visuals and making feeling people like they're in this you know second world and um but his focus was on storytelling and how he really when he hires he hires people that can tell compelling stories and he comes from a film background obviously where that like really matters but that that fascinates me too just as we get further it it, there's are games that have great visuals, but like I'm still drawn to a lot of the older games that tell a really good story. There's a there's a small indie game from years back called Firewatch that mm. ran on a lot, and it and it just if you haven't played it, it's worth just bringing up just to kind of see what it's like. But it's not a game in a traditional sense. It's I mean some people may call it kind of a walkthrough, but I'm really interested in as as we get more into this, we we always talk about the technology. But I was excited to hear from the studio that like they're still focused on the story, compelling mm-hmm. a, a story. Ocarina of Time's another one. Like it just, I, I think back to some of these games as I was growing up and school and playing. It, it just those the ones that have the, a story uh, that bring up some of those emotions are the ones that come to mind. And those are a couple. But yeah, if you haven't played Firewatch, check it out. It's a fantastic little game. Yeah. Campo Santo or something like that, I think, I think is so. the yeah, studio. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I always talk about with people looking to get into game development. And a lot of people look into what hardware do I need first? Sure. And for me, that's kind of a little bit backwards because, like, you don't need Unreal 5 and the highest, you know, a 3090 with a Threadripper thing to make Firewatch. Like, those didn't exist when that game was made, but it's still an amazing game. It still looks really good today. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of games, like, they have a really good aesthetic and they tell an amazing story and they're made 10 years ago or longer like we don't have that tech back then so it's it's not always a question of like what's the best hardware it's like well what do you want to do like what's what story are you trying to tell 
and then work from there to figure out what kind of systems you need. Yeah, I mean, you look at like like Half Life was a great Half Life Two, great game. The story, visuals, pretty good. But I, I'd, I'd kind of, if you had to err to one side, either like amazing visuals, poor story, great story, mediocre visuals. I'll always side on the like mediocre visuals and take the story because I mm-hmm. yeah, look at Minecraft. Um, Roblox is a good example of that too. You, I mean, the first yeah. time you saw Minecraft, I don't think anybody was blown away with the visuals <laughs> before no. all the skins and stuff. So yeah, I, I'm. That's a, that is definitely a part I'm interested in, on the technical, and then just again like a lot of the stuff around VR. Um, some of the things I, I'm interested in. I remember years ago going down to CES, and Intel had a large booth, and they had drones and VR stuff, and there were a lot of real estate agents there, and they were just like oh. looking at like, oh, this is going to be the future of like viewing homes. I'm I live in the state of Washington. I'm looking for a home in say California, and I'll just be able to tour it virtually with this VR headset. But I, I don't know. I think there's there's a lot of other applications around that too, and in, in terms of like fitness and things like that. I follow a guy on TikTok who uses VR for his customers to help them get in shape and stuff. So just out other applications besides just like the gaming stuff that I think will expand. I think Nintendo, you know, with I think some of the stuff, they do a good job with expanding, not just being a game company, but a, almost, I hate to say lifestyle company, but mm-hmm. there is some of that where they can expand it into audiences, whether it's an older audience, younger audience, um, outside of kind of the traditional gamer that we think of yeah they're not so focused on a keyboard and mouse or a controller they're looking at how do you interact with this game how like other ways of doing it they had that um God, what was it called nintendo labo oh yeah that, oh yeah the, yeah the cardboard thing that you yeah put together. yeah and you um, build it and yeah yeah they've done things like that i mean the we obviously with the motion controls and um yeah, they're they're good at making really good games, but also like, how can we do something other than just push a button? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good point. I, that, I I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, they've they have they do push that kind of the boundary or or those limits of how we interact with things. Because like even right now they have that uh, that fitness ring sort mm-hmm. of thing that that works with the switch, um, and then yeah, with like the the Wii, they had the the board and whatnot mm-hmm. for for the we fit stuff and the nunchucks and all that that's that's interesting i like that's it's more of an experience that way yeah yeah that's kind of cool. yeah, yeah i think they're more I, of a experience company than a, a game, the game company, company. Yeah. i think it widens it too you know i remember going down and seeing you know uh, at my parents home and they had kind of a little area there that had games and stuff set up and they had you know a number of wii's there for a much you know older audience that kelly's point about like the mouse and keyboard for a lot of people if you didn't grow up using that that's a pretty difficult input to learn Mm. you know especially if you haven't you didn't do that as a kid so uh, i think yeah expanding whether it's a screen or it's a different type of controller you think with the vr you just kind of it's just there. You just wear it. There's not like having to worry about ports and mm-hmm. being, you know, close to an outlet. Just being able to put this thing on and and walk around and it really changes like what you can do and where and where you can do it. Yeah, I still think VR is 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 still very niche. I feel like mm-hmm. it's not. Um, it's still waiting for the a big hook, the thing that that that's going to make it that everybody wants it. You know. Yeah, 
it's really cool and i think it's getting more and it's, it's growing more and more but it's still so very much um video games really like yeah. i know because of the industries that we're in that there's you know architectural visualization and you know like you were saying the the real estate you can 3d scan the house and people can walk through it and stuff but i i wonder what's it gonna take to get wide adoption where everybody's gonna have one i think the hardware needs to a get faster um because like you have to render so many frames to get a good looking result and not get motion sick um so hardware needs to improve but at the same time it needs to get smaller because right now like headsets are still pretty clunky and um not everyone wants to put this giant headset on when they want to play a game and then get lost in the room and get tangled up by some cords hanging out the back if they don't have a wireless version and um i think that's the biggest thing right now is that like the uber techie are willing to deal with that kind of stuff right the non-tech people that would buy a switch or a wii and play that they're not going to be interested in this kind of specialized hardware yeah, I'd, I'd wondered if it was a specific game, but I kind of think maybe that maybe I'm wrong on that, too. I think there's some issues around who controls the headset, what they, you know, if I have to have a Facebook account, I think I've, there's some mm-hmm. concern around some of these issues. Do I have what how much of my information do I have to give this company, especially mm-hmm. when some of the games are still free? I agree with Kelly, the size, the battery life, too, of these as well is a is a factor. Um, but yeah, I've kind of wondered if it would take a specific game, like you see, maybe, I mean, that's kind of going back to the console model where they, you know, rely on a very, you know, top tier game to sell the hardware, but I don't know, it feels like there are a lot of games out there, but maybe nothing that's been so compelling that drives, you know, mass sales of these things. I do see it picking up at least with the younger, um, you know, some of my younger kids, it does seem like they and a lot of their friends now have them. And then that helps breed as they're, as some of these games, you know, are multiplayer, then they want to play together. Then that kind of encourages them to pick, get their own headset for it. But I agree. I think we're still a little ways off from it going, uh, super mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nah, it's, uh, it's interesting too because it takes you out. It takes you. I feel like it's different from the normal way of playing games or just interacting with with any sort of media because I feel like it takes you out of. Well, and I think that's kind of part of the point, right? Virtual reality. It takes you out of your space, your reality, and that's a weird jump to make. It's it's such a strange way of interacting. Yes. Yeah. It takes you out of it, but then also it doesn't give you a good way to move around efficiently that feels right. Because um, sometimes if you're just using like a D-pad to walk forward or whatever, and you're just staying there wielding swords and stuff, but you have stuff to push this button and your legs aren't moving and then your world's moving around you, that makes you feel weird. and Or you just like jump point to point and that also doesn't feel real you know like it there's still some that kind of limitations it needs to overcome like how do you move this and feel right do you think there'll be a more of a push toward um sort of passive consumption content like virtual reality movies storytelling in that Um, way 
there's been some of that even a lot of um i think all of the vr headsets you can watch a movie in it sure as a virtual screen that you're just looking at and you can like look around and stuff um maybe but I, i think again it comes down to would you rather sit on your couch and look at a a TV screen over there, or do you want to put this headset on? Yeah. You know, it makes it hard to converse. If it's just you, maybe one thing, but like you're you're a bunch of friends and you get together to watch the, you know, the big, the Super Bowl or something. I don't know. See everybody wearing headsets. Yeah. It's like the social part in the game, but you're right. It is difficult. Your point Houston to be able to come back out of reality. Um, and it's often a different part of your home. So yeah, it is a little bit, it is a little bit different. I think a lot of that still to be figured out. And if you're like sitting on the couch watching a movie and you're like, I want to run to the kitchen and grab a drink real quick. And like, if you can still see the TV or something, you can just run and grab it. You can still hear what's happening with the headset. You feel like, um, pull this off and then go run and can't hear anything. Can't see anything. Just pause it and then come back. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to that, to that, yeah. To that point, I'd like to see more push on augmented reality. Mm-hmm. You know, cause, cause like, like that example you just gave, it wouldn't, it could still be like sort of half painted into your vision or, or it could kind of turn transparent a little bit as you're trying to interact with real reality and then, okay, I'm done. And you can, it takes back over kind of thing. Right. I think that would play a lot better into the social aspect of, of it too. Cause then you could have kind of a, have you guys seen the Kingsman? No. There's a, oh, there's a, there's a few scenes where they're, they're sitting at a, at a, like a boardroom table and they're ta- they're talking and stuff and nobody's really there. And then it switches to one of the characters views and they're, uh, and they have these special glasses and there's then they're all like sitting at this table, but in like a sort of virtual sense. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a little bit more of that, that sort of mixed reality plays better t- to that social aspect of more of, of the, a lot of it, of a lot of things. More of the Microsoft HoloLens as opposed to Oculus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really the, that I think is going to be the bigger hook. Could be. Yeah. Let's see. We only just have a few more minutes left. Um, I was, I'm wondering, have you guys seen anything interesting coming about in, in GDC? Uh, I know we kind of, before the stream, I was kind of trying to keep a new, an eye on the hashtag and stuff on Twitter. Right. I was wondering if you guys have seen anything interesting um, coming out in the last few days or, or even today. That's the only news I've seen. Um, a lot of talk at GDC is around um, using AI to generate models and textures and stuff like that. Um, other methods of procedurally generated um, content. Okay. Um, that's kind of the big deal because as as textures are getting bigger and as fidelity in games increases and all this stuff keeps growing, the um, it's getting harder and harder to get the assets to get into the engine that are a high fidelity and like it takes a long time to model that or if you were to try to create that by scratch it would take a long time forever oh um especially since you need you know color map the albedo and then a um reflection map and a metalness map and all this other stuff um so there's a lot of uh ai going into things being able to like um do some minor photogrammetry 
-hmm. and then run that through AI to upscale it and to make a tile and all this other stuff to be able to get this content because it wants higher and higher fidelity content, which takes longer and longer to make, but timelines aren't increasing and they just keep adding more people and, um, it's not very sustainable. So all this push around VR and procedurally generated stuff like, a substance is the one of the big ones. Um, Oh. Adobe bought them out not too long ago. Um, so they have a lot of stuff going on at GDC right now. It looks pretty interesting. And that's the big thing for me is that I'm looking at right now is AI-based stuff and procedurally generated stuff. You know, we saw a lot of industries really hurt um, with the pandemic, you know, coming through. But I'm interested in just the overall health. It does feel like like this industry, the gaming industry, is as even though there's a lot of technology changes going on right now, and uh, it's, it's it feels about as healthy as what it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, the funding, the amount of money that's going into these studios, uh, and and uh, really one of the biggest challenges I hear from them is just the hiring. They're just, you know, trying to get people in place now as people are coming back. But, you know, as people were locked in their homes, they didn't have a lot to do. And I think a lot of the gaming stuff just it it was already flying high, but it really feels as healthy as what it's been. And I just I love the idea. I mean, the the big studios are are always going to be there, but just the health of the indie gamer Mm -hmm. um, right now. And and I have seen some of the focus. I haven't followed a lot of GDC so far, but it does seem like there are a lot of talks and a lot of discussions around the indie gamer which is fantastic mm-hmm. again i love that like some of those smaller firewatch type games that just don't hit the mainstream but are still really compelling games uh, yeah. for those so that's what i'm kind of interested I'm, I'm really excited to see is just the health of this industry really seems to be really good right now well and the the need for people we're seeing that across into the film side as well and it's kind of a there's always been an overlap and a kind of a give and take between uh, 3d filmmakers and game developers there's people go back and forth quite often but now that there is a push in the film side for virtual production using 3d game engines to drive walls or um, green screen content or whatever there's now an even bigger draw that they need more people over there as well and they're trying to steal all the game developers they can find <laughs> and then game developers are still trying to hire all the people they can have and wow. um, so yeah there's there's a great demand for people that know 3d stuff hey yeah there you go if you're if you're young out there and are looking to change a career or something mm-hmm. there you go video games or filmmaking awesome yeah yeah that's cool oh oh thank you all right so that does put us just a little bit over our hour so uh we'll 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 wrap it up um is there anything else you guys would like to mention or or shout out or anything before we go we covered a lot yeah (laughs) uh can people still view that um webinar i did last week uh, yeah, actually, yeah. If, uh, if you fill out the form, we'll, we can send you a link. Uh, let me pull that up real fast. I think I have so, a landing While he's pulling that up, last week I did a webinar on um, choosing the right hardware for game development. So if you're looking at game development and want to know what kind of hardware you need for programming versus art versus whatever, you can go to that webinar and I kind of break down all the different segments of a computer to see what kind of helps um, improve your performance so you can be better educated on setting up a computer for yourself. Yeah, yeah check that out. This, this is good stuff. Uh, but yeah, 
other than that, um, I want to thank you guys for taking the time out of the day to, to join us. I, I know it was really last minute, so I appreciate you guys making mm-hmm. some space in your schedules uh, to join us today. And um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Right yeah. I always like to thank the audience as well for joining us today. Uh, we do this every Wednesday, um, sometimes live, but we're trying to sprinkle more sort of uh, pre-recorded content as people's schedules <laughs> uh, don't, often, don't always uh, line up quite well. But um, whether live or, or pre-recorded, we do this uh, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific. So mark your calendars. And, um, yeah, Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Houston.